this whole experience is getting me out of my comfort zone. You know, I, I thought, I've been in ministry for like 18 years now, and I thought that I knew, I thought I knew what I was doing. I really did until I met you guys, and I realized I have no idea what on earth I'm doing. <laughs> what in the world are we thinking? Uh, okay, so we're, yeah, what are we thinking? I, yeah, and I'm not mentally prepared for today. I'll, I'll admit that to you. I mean, I've studied, I've spent time with the Lord, but just, I don't know. It's like, I, if this at all lands with you, it'll really be a miracle with, with the Lord. That's okay. You know, I'm not going to make apologies for that because I've given my full portion to the Lord. And I just, anyway, so I just want to say that out there, you know, if you're not impressed by this and you get your money back, <laughs> it's worth every penny you paid. Um, but I am, I am fully soaking in this idea of first we are a family. I am 100% been, I've been dwelling in this since the first time that we began to plant this church in our hearts a year ago. And we knew, we knew, we knew, we knew that whatever else we did, we want this church to be a family. And I knew that in my own, in my own mind, it's easy for that just sort of become lip service and not to be real. You know, every church says that. Every church wants to feel like a family, right? I've been a part of those that say that. Um, but I, I just said, Lord, please let us be just the fullest representation of the family of God as we can be this side of glory. And the Lord said, are you sure you really want that? You know, and I began to think, okay, you know what families are like? Families are real with one another. Do you want people to be real with you? When you ask them, when you ask somebody how they're doing, do you want them to unload on you some days or to burst into tears or to maybe even let you have it a little bit? Yes, you do. Awesome. All right. We got one that wants it. Awesome. You know, real families are transparent. Real families love big. Real families are just not afraid um, to open up our hearts and to risk being vulnerable with one another. Real families are not afraid to cry in front of I've not cried as much in the last, in my whole life as I have in the last five years, you know, and I'm not afraid to do that anymore because it's like your family and you know me, you know that, you know, you know me at my worst and you love me and by God's grace, I'm moving forward and I know many of you at your worst and I love you anyway. Um, so first we are a family. I want to say this, this is where we are by the power of the Holy Spirit, we want King's Church just to be deeper. I want to say this, and I mean it with all sincerity, deeper than your blood relatives. I want that because I believe that's, the, that's what Jesus says about the, king, the family of God. It is a more lasting family than even your own kin. I'm not saying this church. I'm just saying the family of God, universal, is meant to be a superior, lasting family that fulfills every need. And some of us are from broken families. Some of us are from broken homes. We don't have a mom or a dad who love us the way that others do. You know, we're, we're, we have some, um, some, some estrangement with uncles and aunts and cousins and all those kind of things. Some of us, when we think family, we don't have warm fuzzies. You know, we've got cortisol levels that begin to rise up, and we've got a little bit of anxiety, and we've got other things happening when we think of family. The last thing in the world you want is another family. It's like, are you kidding me? Do you know how dysfunctional my family is? I don't want that in church. I got to tell you, I don't either. I don't think God does either. I think God wants to, to, to really show and to plant on earth 
the real healthy expressions of what a family is. So that's, that's what we're endeavoring to do, and we're not going to do it perfect. I will tell you this right now. I promise if you're here long enough, I will do something to hurt you. Not on purpose. I won't do that on purpose, but I am imperfect. I am not a perfect leader. I will drop the ball. I will forget your birthday. I will say something that's just like completely insensitive. I don't mean to do it, but I'm an imperfect. And likewise, the people around you, we are not going to be a perfect, flawless family. If that's what you're looking for, look somewhere else because we are not going to be that. But we are chasing after the heart and mind of Jesus Christ. We want to love as he does. And we are being transformed daily into his likeness. I see that in you. I hope you see that in me. Daily we are being changed a little bit more, a little bit more like Jesus, a little bit more like Jesus. And we're all chasing after that. And the good news is if we're all chasing after the same point, what happens to us? If we're all here and we're all going to this point, what does that mean? We're all coming together, right? It's awesome. Okay, I'm excited. I don't know about you guys. Come on. All right, so last week we talked about, we laid this foundation. How are we to live as God's family? We talked about sonship as the foundation. Sonship. And if you're a, if you're a female here, and you missed last week, don't get offended by that. Go back and listen online or listen to the podcast to see what we mean by that. The Bible says we've been given a spirit of sonship, which means that all of us, regardless of our gender, are given the fullest measure of God's kingdom. The Father has adopted us in. So we're going to spend like another, probably another two weeks or so. I'm going to speak uh, today on being spiritual fathers. Meg is going to speak next week um, on, that's Mother's Day, isn't it? It's awesome. On uh, being a spiritual mom, that's perfect. You know, so we're, we're kind of going to move that direction. Um, and there's so many other things to say about this. Um, several years ago, I heard the term orphan spirit. Have you guys ever heard the term orphan spirit? Okay, you guys know what that means. If you've never heard that term before, you know, I, I may not do the best job explaining it, but it's essentially someone who, someone who has an orphan spirit. They may or, not, may or may not be a true orphan, but they're carrying this weight upon them where it makes them feel just very rejected by um, those in, in, in relationship with them. You know, even if they have a biological mom or a dad or a spiritual mom or dad, they feel alone, they feel lost, they feel untethered from family. And they sort of carry that spirit about them, and it sort of causes them to act in these ways of um, you know, even subconsciously rejecting and pushing back on people that want to be in relationship. And, I've, and sort of once I heard that idea of orphans, I began, to, I began to see that. I began to sort of notice that in, in people that I was ministering to. And um, to be honest, on, at times I would even begin to see that creeping in to me. You know, the sort of feeling of loneliness, this feeling of isolation, pushing back against, you know, resisting opening up my heart and sort of carrying the sense of being an orphan. And from what I understand, it, that's God wants to take us from being orphans to being sons, from being orphans to being daughters. That's what we looked at last week. He's not given us, you know, a spirit of slavery. He's given us a spirit of adoption. He's given us a spirit of sonship. But this week, I want to push this and say a little bit more. We, let's, what if we could go from being an orphan, not to just being a son, but now we can go to also being fathers. Or if you're 
you know, a, a lady here go from being an orphan to being a daughter, but also from being a daughter to be a mother in the faith or a father in the faith. And that, that's sort of the logical progression, right? You know, for, for 24 years, I was a son. I was a son of Ray and Diane. I was one of three. I was the middle of an older brother and a younger sister, and I was a son. That was my identity. I was a brother. You know, first I, was a, first I was a son, I was a brother, and then at some point along the way, I became, I moved from being just a son to being a father. Remember when that happened? That happened on, in June, we argue about the date, June 3rd, 2005. That's when Emma came to be with us. She arrived in our home. She's adopted, but that was our gotcha day. That's when she showed up, and all of a sudden, in the blink of an eye, I wasn't just a son anymore or a brother anymore. All of a sudden, I was a father, and that meant a whole lot of things were going to change, and I wasn't entirely prepared for it. I did not know what I was doing. You know, I thought I had this figured out. I thought I knew all about these things, but all of a sudden now I'm a dad and I'm responsible for this little miniature human being here, for her well-being and providing for her and just like, what in the world? What have I gotten myself into? You know, and... Um, but we're, 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 we're in a culture, and especially in our churches, where... Men and women are desperately in need of spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers. So I want to put the challenge to King's Church as that we move not just from being orphans, and some of you might still feel that way. I want to have you take some steps to, to, to walking in the identity of being a son or a daughter with the spirit of sonship, but ultimately to stepping up and saying, you know, it's my time now to be a spiritual father or to be a spiritual mother. Meg will talk a little bit more about this. And those are not so much gender, and this gets really confusing, I know. I confuse myself already. These are not so much gender roles as they are sort of spiritual roles. So we're going to jump into two places in the Word in the New Testament. By the way, who needs a Bible? Who needs the analog? We got it overhead, but don't settle for that. I want your, I want your hands on the analog. Anybody need one? First one to raise your hand gets the nicest one. Oh, Chad. Uh-oh, sorry, Sarah. we got more of these up here. If you need the analog, grab it, because it's just great to have it in front of you and to smell the pages. Okay, so we're going to be in two places, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Both of these are letters, ancient letters, written by the Apostle Paul. Paul was not one of the original 12 disciples, but he knew them well. And he came just a few, sort of a short season, a few years after the resurrection of Jesus. And Paul was the primary one who was responsible for spreading the gospel and planting churches not, uh, outside of Jerusalem, into sort of the, the surrounding area there in the Middle East. So Paul is an, he's an apostle. One of these days we're going to talk about what it means to be an apostle. And the gift of uh, and the apostolic gift, but Paul was one of those. Paul's responsibility was to go, to preach, to proclaim, to demonstrate power, to plant churches. And he would go on and do these in a number of different cities, and everywhere he'd go, he'd plant another church. And some of those cities, he would then, as he went on his way, he would come back and he would write a letter to that church and follow up and see how they were doing, or to give them encouragement, or to address some problems. And these two, these two letters. And Corinthians and Thessalonians are both that very situation. The, the, the letters of Corinthians were written to the church in Corinth, 
And the letters of Thessalonians were written to the church in Thessalonica. So Paul has planted these churches. He is their spiritual father as he's going to sort of lay out this case. And he's got some things to say about that. So let me just read the two places where we are. And then we're going to get in a little bit to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. Now, in, in, in the preceding verses in 4, um, Paul is sort of laying out this case. It's almost like he's defending himself. We don't, we don't know a whole lot about the circumstances, but clearly there were some problems in the church in Corinth, and there were these people that were coming in, sort of these outside people that were coming in after Paul had left, trying to stir up trouble, trying to sort of, you know, puff themselves up as being the leaders of the church, and they were talking smack about Paul and doing all this other kind of stuff, and Paul heard about it. And Paul said, oh, no, no, this is not going to happen. So Paul writes this letter defending himself, laying out the case why he is the authority over that church. And he writes this and he begins to talk about all the things that he has done, all the sacrifices that he has made. And it's, you know, it's, it's beautiful to read it. And Paul has every right to say that. So he sort of lays out this case and it says this in, in, in uh, chapter 4, verse 14. He says, I'm not writing this to shame you. In other words, he sort of lit into them a little bit, you know. Um, but he says, I'm not, I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Verse 15, even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Jesus Christ, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. And then turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Kind of a similar situation. He's writing to sort of encourage them in the faith and his ministry to them. Let's begin reading in verse 6. As apostles of Christ, we could, not, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So Paul then is, 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 is he's clearly understanding himself to be a spiritual father in the church. He's built these communities of the kingdom in Philippi and in Corinth and Ephesus and Thessalonica. He's writing these letters to them. And he goes on and he talks about this, how he, whenever he went to these places, he proclaims the gospel. He gets up and he preaches wherever he can, in the street corners or the synagogue or out of wherever, wherever he needs to go. But he knows that simply preaching the gospel isn't enough. He needs to establish disciples in those communities home churches, and, and, and he needs discipleship to sort of be, be grounded in them, you know, and, and of course the same is true all through history. We, we want to be a proclaiming kind of church. We want to be uh, somebody who, who takes this very seriously and, and proclaims the full measure of the gospel of Jesus Christ without, without being ashamed of any part of it. We want to say, this is the word of God. This is what God says. This is how he says we are to live. This is the message of salvation, and we proclaim that, and we want to continue to do that, we also want to demonstrate the power of the gospel. We want to pray and lay hands on, and we want to see the sick healed. We want to see uh, the deliverance happen and these kind of things happening. We want to see the power of the proclaimed word being expressed out just like Paul did. 
Um, but we want to, we, what, what we ultimately want to see are, are people coming in who become disciples of Jesus Christ. They become sons of God, and they begin to walk in the way that God has called them to. They begin to do the things that Jesus does and live the way that Jesus does. And discipleship then depends, though, on faithful fathers. Having growing sons, having disciples, those are growing sons, having healthy, mature sons and daughters depends on having faithful fathers. And we could also say mothers, but today we're talking about fathers, all right? So it depends. Discipleship depends on faithful fathers. If we don't have any faithful fathers in King's Church, we will not make disciples. We might make converts. I can stand up and I can give a compelling message maybe sometimes and and get people to the altar and pray. We can baptize them. We can get them really feeling good about themselves. But ultimately, their faith is going to be washed away. Because that's not, it's simply not enough just to believe something and to say one prayer and to go on your way. What they need is to be grounded. They need to be raised up by faithful fathers in the faith and by mothers in the faith. And if we don't have that, we can't carry out our mission. So I want to, I want, I want to present kind of just some, some fundamentals of, of, of what it means. What does it mean to be a spiritual father? What does it mean to be... A, a, a father in the faith? What does it mean to be somebody who is investing in other people in the way that Paul was? So here's the first one. Spiritual fathers create children. That was an easy one, y'all. Come on. That was like a, that was like a slow pitch right over the plate. Fa- obviously, fathers create children. If you don't have any kids, you're not a father. You might be an awesome guy. You might be a great brother. You're a son, but you're not a father until you have children. This is what he says. Paul says this in in 1 Corinthians 4.15, he says, even if you had 10,000 guardians, that word, that Greek word is pedagogos, it means teacher. And in, in that culture, it wasn't just like a teacher in a classroom. It was almost like a slave who was paid to come in to tutor your children in moral guidance. What would that be like? It would be like to have somebody sort of paid in your home. Your job is to come in. You're, you're going to you know, teach my kids. But you're also going to teach them how to be good and noble citizens. Now, apparently it was common in that kind of society in Paul's day, pedagogos, that's what they were. They were guardians. They were the teachers. They were the ones that were responsible for you, you know, little boy or little girl, becoming productive citizens of the Roman Empire. And Paul says that you in the church, you know, you've got a thousand people like that. You've got so many people around you that are great at teaching the word. You know, you've got a thousand people that are great at this, you know, uh, and I'm not one of them. You know, you've got a thousand people who can do like awesome kind of, uh, of, of, you know, ministry here or all these other kind of things. You've got TBN and these other programs where you can just find the best teaching and preaching all the time. You've got a thousand teachers, but you don't have very many spiritual fathers. And he says, for in Jesus Christ, I became your father through the gospel. I, the Paul says, you know, look, all those teachers are good, but they're not as important as me. I am the, I'm the one who really gave birth to you in the kingdom. I was there. I proclaimed the gospel for you for the first time and brought you into the kingdom. And Paul says he's a father to the Corinth church as well as these other churches. You know, so spiritual fathers... That's, that's, the, that's the very first thing that we do is we create children. So if we as King's Church, we're, if we're going to take this seriously, we've got to have spiritual fathers who are producing new generations of believers. So I want to talk to those of you who are in the faith 
right now, this message is for you to become, to rise up, to become not just to move from being an orphan, not just being a son or a daughter, but to being a spiritual father or a spiritual mother. The first thing that you carry is the responsibility of producing new believers. It is not my job as the pastor of this church solely to do that. It is not, the ministry of, it is not solely the ministry of the prayer team to do that. It is your job as fathers now. You need to begin to produce new disciples. Bring people into the faith. Bring them in. And look, I'll be honest. If I look back at my sort of spiritual lineage, do I have just, you know, dozens and dozens of hundreds of people behind me that can say, look, I'm your spiritual father? No. And it's to my own shame. It's that way. And we can become so busy in doing the, the work of the kingdom that we forget to multiply the kingdom. That's the first thing is spiritual fathers create children. Here's the second thing they do is spiritual fathers, they model the faith. Paul says, therefore, I urge you to imitate me. That's pretty bold. That's a bold statement. You know, can, can I say that to people? Can I go to someone and say, look, even if you don't understand all of the commands of Jesus, even if you're confused by that, look, just do what I'm doing. Act like I'm acting and everything is going to be fine. Doesn't that sound kind of arrogant to say that, right? It does. It sounds like, who do you think you are? You think you got it all figured out? You know, super spiritual Christian Brad Easy. Look at that. Paul says, no, look, you, you imitate me. And he says this. He says also this in, in Thessalonians. He says, you are witnesses. You've seen, in other words, how holy, righteous, and blameless was our conduct to you believers. Everything we did says Paul, was righteous. Everything we did was holy. Everything we did was blameless before you. We did not do anything that was contrary to the gospel. So if, you're, if you need somebody to follow, says Paul, follow your dad, do what he's doing. He's modeling this. You've heard the phrase, caught not taught, right? So much of the faith is caught from other people, not just taught from up here. And I, I bet if I were to ask, raise a hands, how many of you sort of were brought into the faith? How many of you know you have a spiritual father, spiritual mother, you know who they are, what happened? You can name that. And I'm, I'm willing to bet that you learned a whole, a whole lot about the faith by watching them live their lives. How do they treat their husbands? How do they treat their wives? How do they treat their kids? How do they handle money? How do they handle things at work? How do they handle conflict? What do they spend their free time doing? How do they respond when somebody offends them? These are all things that are meant just to be modeled and lived out and caught by others. Spiritual fathers model the faith. I, I would love, and I believe, I believe this is the direction we're going that people can come into King's Church and know more about the Christian faith, know more about Jesus because of how you interacting with one another than anything that we might teach up here. Paul says, do what I'm doing. 
Live how I'm living. If you, need to, if you need to follow somebody, look, follow me. Imitate me. I'm your spiritual father. And we, can, we need to be, as spiritual fathers and mothers, bold enough to say that. Say, look, let's, let's, let's do this together. Watch me. I'll, I'll, show you, I'll show you the way. Third thing is this. Spiritual fathers live, they live sacrificial lives. By the way, I started watching a show on Netflix. I want to be, I want to, <laughs> Meg and I, we, we, we have a marketing business. So the last seven years of my life I've been in, you know, we still have it, marketing and advertising and all this kind of thing. So I heard about the show Mad Men. Never watched it when it was broadcast, but I knew roughly that it was about something in the advertising and something in the 60s. And it was on Netflix and it had a relatively okay rating. It wasn't like, you know, MA or anything. I was like, I want to watch this. And the first the first several episodes were hard to watch because literally all they did all the time was smoke and drink. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Anybody seen that? It's just like one after the next. And I saw this statistic, by the way, that 40% of people in the 60s smoked cigarettes, and that, drops, that dropped down to like 12 or 14% now. But anyway, on the show, that's all they did. And I was like, okay, well, eventually they're going to have some point to the plot. And I began to, and you know, the main character, his name is Don Draper. He's like the big, good-looking, you know, executive, the ad executive. And he's got this beautiful wife who is a model and these two little kids. And I just kind of, as you watch through some of the early episodes, you just begin to realize this guy is a terrible dad. And a terrible, I mean, apart from the fact that he's a serial adulterer, he's just so disconnected from his kid. I know it's a TV show, so I'm not really knocking it, you know, but it just, it got me thinking then about just so many fathers of my father's generation, so many of sort of coming out of that post-war generation. You know, there's so much just wounding that happened from the war and when they sort of this whole generation of fathers who were just emotionally absent and just not there. Maybe your dads were that way. Maybe your grandparents were that way. Spiritual fathers, though, they live sacrificial lives. They don't live for themselves. They don't live for their work. They don't live for their, their, their careers or their leisure time. They, they say, look, I am living my life in sacrifice so that you, sons and daughters, can have something better than I've got. Look what Paul says here. He says in 1 Thessalonians 2.9, he says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. And Paul is referencing this, what's common in that culture was that teachers, rabbis, or any kind of philosophy teachers, you know, who are worth their salt, whenever they would come into a particular city or a town, the expectation was is that they would just give all of their time to teaching and that funds would come in from all the different people and, you know, just basically it's, it's, it's a full-time gig. I'm going to teach, you're going to pay, pay for it because, you know, that's just what we do. And Paul comes in and Paul makes it clear. He says, we had every right to expect this of you. And in fact, Paul says, it's actually good that workers receive their pay. But Paul says, look, we didn't take anything from you. In fact, the opposite is true. We worked hard night and day so that we wouldn't be a burden to you. We sacrificed. We put in long hours, says Paul so that we could, we could really minister and preach the gospel without any kind of encumbrance whatsoever. I began to think, you know, in, 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 in my own life, you know, 
am I, am I living a sacrificial life for my biological, ch- or for, my, for my own family children? And am I doing that also for spiritual children, the people that I'm mentoring and investing in and, and fathering? And there's a difference between making sacrifices and living a sacrificial life. And making sacrifices, that's easy to do. That's kind of like once in a while, you know, we can sacrifice a little bit. It's nothing altogether to have a lifestyle that is just given over and emptying out. And spiritual fathers, they live these kind of lives, sacrificial lives. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim the gospel of God. I gotta tell you, I see, I see that in you guys. I do. I see the, the time that you do put in and the effort that you put in. And all of us are volunteers here, and you guys are just keep giving and giving and giving. That's the mark of maturity. That's the mark of being a spiritual mother and a father. You're giving without expecting anything in return. You're giving out of the fullness of your heart. You're making sacrifices and you're living a sacrificial life. Fourth thing is this. Spiritual fathers compel towards godliness. They compel towards godliness. First Thessalonians 2 verse 11 says, We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Three words that he says there. We exhorted you, we encouraged you, and we charged you. Those are all very similar, some slight differences to them. It has these elements of compassion, encouragement. Spiritual fathers encourage towards godliness with gentleness and compassion. They exhort. Exhort means to sort of to speak um, into action, to, to urge somebody to take action in a, particular, in a particular means. And Paul says, we came and we did this. We didn't just sit on the sidelines and wish you the best. He says, we got in, we got in where you are and we urged you to live lives that were honoring to God. We exhorted you. We encouraged you. We, we just pushed you on and on and on. And that's This is how the family of God, this is how it's going to be here. And so many of us, we come in, you know, we've got so many things going on outside in the week, you know, Monday through Saturday, and we show up, and I don't know, maybe it's me, but some days it's like I just feel a little bit on edge, you know, a little bit tense, a little bit distracted, and what really makes a difference is just encouragement from somebody. You know, for somebody to come up and just say, you know, it's good to see you. And I'm sure I'm not alone in that. Encouragement can go a whole long, a, a long way. Barnabas is another character in, in the book of Acts. He was an associate of Paul in his, one of his early missionary journeys. And his, his name, Barnabas, was son of encouragement. That's what they called him. How awesome would that be just to, to have that reputation here, you know, to have that kind of a church where, like, everywhere we go, people just say, oh, that's such an encouraging church. Every time I go in there, they just, have, they just have such encouraging things to say to me. They just really fill me with hope and love. They really let me know that things are going to be okay. Be that kind of church. Be that kind of spiritual father and a mother. Be that kind of person that looks at somebody and says, I got your back. So he's encouraging, but he's also exhorting. He's also exhorting. Sometimes it means to even say things that you know, maybe aren't the easiest things to say. I char- he, he says, we, we charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. And I got to tell you, we don't, in churches I've been in, 
we don't really do this. We back off a little bit from this. We want all the encouragement. We don't want the exhortation because the exhortation could step on my toes. I don't want somebody tell, I don't want somebody to come and tell me that I need to step up. That's going to hurt my feelings. That's going to offend me, you know? And I'm going to say, who are you to judge me? You take care of the speck in your own eye. Don't you point out my failures. But Paul says, as spiritual fathers, in love, in encouragement, though, we still came in and we still exhorted you and charged you to take even greater steps than than you've taken before. And Paul had some tough things to say to his churches. And it wasn't easy. I'm sure he writes these things out of a broken heart. But I tell you, I, you know, this, this is, I believe, the kind of church that I, that I want to be a part of, and I believe the Spirit of God wants us, is that we are compelling one another towards godliness. That everything we do, we are saying, come on, let's, let's go in a manner that is worthy of Jesus. Let's walk, in a, let's walk worthy of our calling. Let's walk worthy of the one who, who gave himself for us. You know, is everything, is the way that we're doing worship, is this, is this, is this worthy of, of, of all that Jesus has sacrificed for us? Is the way that we have meals together worthy of what God has called us to? Is the way that we talk there in the lobby worthy of what God's called us to? Is the way that we interact with one another outside of these, this church worthy of what God has called us to? Is the way that we live our lives in the privacy of our own homes and bedrooms and offices when no one is watching Is that worthy of what God's called us to? And true spiritual fathers are going to say, come on, we can do this together. We can step up. We can be more like Jesus. And that's not legalism. That's just discipleship. Walk worthy. Live lives of honor what God has done for us. Paul's saying if if you're holy, then don't act like you're unholy. If you're saints, which you are, says Paul, then don't live like you're sinners, says Paul. If you're one way, then act that way. Walk in it. Become that way. Because we carry it. We, we carry the name of Jesus with us wherever we go. Spiritual fathers compelled towards godliness. And the fifth one is a lot like this. And it's one I almost left off. Spiritual fathers discipline to bring growth. Oh, I love, I love to like lead this one off. Wouldn't it be great to end with encouragement? You know, to say that's, that's, the, that's the greatest thing we can do is to encourage one another. I wish it were the case. 1 Corinthians 4, 18, he's talking to some of these in the church. He's not talking to you, don't worry. He says, some of you have become arrogant as if I were not coming to you. Paul says, but I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. In other words, Paul says, they've got a whole lot to talk about. Talking a whole lot of trash, what power do they have? Can they do kingdom things? He says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. I want to say that again. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, words, empty words, but of power. If we don't have power, we don't have anything. The world needs a gospel of power given in holy love. They don't need a weak gospel of love everybody and everything all the time. They need a gospel of power given in holy love. 
And Paul says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Verse 21, what do you prefer, says Paul? And he says, you've got two options here. So what he says, shall I come to you with a rod of discipline, or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? And I cringe when I read this. Do you guys not cringe when you read this? Is it me, or it's just like, ooh, that's just like offensive, you know? Can you imagine reading this, you know, for the first time? If you're this, if you're this church in, in Corinth, and you've got everybody gathered around, and bring all the, brothers, all the brothers and sisters in because Paul has written us a new letter, our father in the faith, the one who loved us, and he poured out his life for us, and we're going to read these words. And Paul, at the end of it, he says, look, you've got two options here for those of you that are, that are practicing this. I'm either going to come to you with a rod of discipline or I'm going to come to you in gentleness and grace. It's like, ooh, man, like the, you know, the, the, the non-confrontational part of me just like wants to like crawl under a table and hide there. And discipline is not a popular word. Discipline always has these negative connotations in a church. Am I wrong? Anybody been in a church that just practiced church discipline where it was just painful and damaging and hurtful? Anyone? It's, it's, it's rough to do that. And I would love to like run the other way and just say, Lord, we don't want to do this. Jesus, you just convict people in your own way and you take care of it. But the Lord's reminded me that as fathers and mothers, we are responsible for the household of God. So if you have a problem with that, think about this. Do you have a problem disciplining your own children? Anybody just let your kids do whatever they want whenever they want to do it? No? No one, no one does? What if they get their feelings hurt? What if, they, you know, what if they run outside and cry? What if they tell their friends? What if they complain? We, that's, that's absurd. Why? Because we discipline our kids because we love them. Right? When, 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 when my son runs away from me, despite me telling him no, and I bring him back and I correct him, why do I do that? Because I love him and I don't want him to run out into the street and get squashed by a truck. I want him to know that I have his best interest at heart and I do not want him to hurt himself or hurt other people. So I'm willing to discipline, I'm willing to train, remove the, remove the punishment out of the, your thinking on this. Discipline is not punishment. Discipline is the same root that we get disciple from. A disciple is someone who has been disciplined. An athlete is somebody who has disciplined their body, right? Dis- disciple, uh, discipline simply means to train, to take control of. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with that if we begin to think about it in the way that Jesus thinks about it. If you love your children, you discipline them. You train them, right? And the same with spiritual fathers, we need to be willing to do this in the spirit of Jesus. And I will say it again, in the spirit of Jesus, in the spirit of Paul, with love and a gentle spirit. May we never, never practice discipline any other way. Maybe tough, might be hard to do, but we can do it. I don't listen to Christian radio very often. Once in a while, I hear a song that I like, and one of them I've heard in the last several months is a song called Known by this guy named Tarn Wells. Have you guys heard that song, Known? Love that song. I do, man. I turn it all the way up, and the kids are crying in the back because it's so loud. I love this song, especially the little line about, you know, hard truth and ridiculous grace. I heard that for the first time, and I said, somebody gets it. 
this is awesome. Because in our church and in our culture, all we want is the ridiculous grace. We want grace, 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 grace. Tolerance, tolerance, tolerance. Forgive, forgive, forgive. We don't want the hard truth part, though. We got to have both. It's not one or the other. It's both together. It's the difficult words. It's the high standards that God has called us to, but it's also grace all at the same time. It's love and compassion and encouragement. So spiritual fathers, we discipline to bring growth. And we're a young church. We've not ever had to like swim anywhere in these kind of waters. We may not ever have to, but when the time comes, we want to be willing to, as a church, follow in the spirit of Jesus and follow in the spirit of Paul and say, for the well-being of you, brother, you, sister, for the well-being of our church, this cannot go on. You guys with me on that? All right. Spiritual fathers, they create children. They model the faith. They live sacrificial lives. They compel towards godliness. And they discipline to bring growth. And the outcome of this is healthy fathers then raise up healthy sons. And healthy mothers then raise up healthy daughters. Generations of disciples building the family of God. Brian, come on up if you would, wherever you are. There you are. Some of us need spiritual fathers. Some of us maybe are, are sort of have felt for a long time like, man, I feel like I'm alone in this thing called the faith. You're sincere, you're devoted, but you're feeling just disconnected. You need a spiritual father. You need some spiritual mothers. I'm willing to bet there's some folks in King's Church that could be that for you if you're willing to open yourself up to it. But some of us need to become spiritual fathers and mothers. I, I had this realization, I don't know, a few years ago. Time has come, the time has come for me, Megan, told this to Chuck and Sasha. I said, look, we're not, we're not the children anymore. We're not the consumers anymore. We don't go to church just to feed, 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 feed ourselves. We go to church to be fathers and mothers now, to raise up sons and daughters, to make sacrifices, to exhort, to encourage, to challenge, to love, to reproduce. It's not an age thing at all. It's a maturity thing, but it's not an age thing. And some of you, I wonder if you're just on that threshold of like, okay, you just need to make that decision. You're going to take that step from being a son to being a father. You're going to begin to invest in those that are, the Lord has brought along. You begin to sort of pour yourself out. You begin to begin to look with the eyes of a father that says, okay, who, who can I bring into the kingdom? Who can I pour myself into? Who can I mentor? Who can I have lunch with maybe once a month? Ask them how they're doing. Pray for them. What three or four girls can I pull together and begin to mother them like a spiritual mother would? 
if you're dissatisfied with where you are sort of in the faith, maybe it's because you're a bird that's too big for the nest. Got to get out. Get out. Just jump and do it. You're not made to feed forever. You're made to reproduce. Our church is made to reproduce. Our church is made to expand, not by stealing people from other churches, but by bringing orphans into the family. Amen? Hey, let's stand up together. We're going to pray. Meg is going to come and kind of lead us in the ministry time. Let me give you these, babe. Well, there's a mic there, but let me give you these words of knowledge here. I gotta find it for you. It's under. Okay, one second. Hey, let's stand again. Oh, you are standing. Perfect. I can't see any of you anyway. So, the lights are so bright, you may all be gone, and I would never know. Preaching at the chairs. Lord Jesus, we love you this morning, Lord. You are our Father. You're such a good Father. You're better than we could ever be. Lord, you're good, you're gracious, but you're also tough. You don't, let us, you don't let us slide, Lord. You hold us to a standard, but you, by your power, you lift us up. You don't say, get there on your own. You say, son, daughter, let me raise you up. And Lord, we can do that. We can yield to that. We can go that way. Father, we just pray, we just release your spirit here to do ministry. We just pray a release of your power here to call, to save, to sanctify, to deliver, to empower, to release, to impart, to equip. Anything and all that you want to do, Lord Jesus, have your way.